Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We are continuing our series called Playlist. And uh, for the month of July, we've been looking at different psalms. And uh, we've called it Playlist because we've been saying that this is God's divine playlist for our lives. That the book of Psalms is a book of songs for us because they express a lot of the human emotions and things that we feel. And so as we're going through this, these are very real prayers being prayed by people going through things that we go through even in 2022. And this week, as I was preparing, it made me kind of think about concerts. Uh, I was thinking about a lot of the concerts that I've gone to over my lifetime. I've seen some people who were considered secular music. Uh, I've seen a lot of legends in that area and have always enjoyed it and loved that. And I've also seen people in the Christian world, the Christian music scene. And have enjoyed seeing them. And, and I've loved going to concerts. Who loves going to a concert? You, yeah? How many of you are now deaf because of concerts, right? Like that, two hands. That's me too. I can't hear sometimes because of that. But I love going to concerts. And, and, and just kind of even as a side note, I love, like I said, coming into God's house worshiping with all of you. I, I love sitting there and, and hearing us all worship with one voice to our God. It really stirs me up because for a lot of you, I know the things that are going on in your life. And for you to sing some of those songs, it really encourages me. And so I love, I just kind of as a side note, I love worshiping with you, but I do love going to concerts. They're really cool. I love hearing the set, singing some of my favorite songs with my favorite band. And, and the room is really cool, you know, and you get, to, you get to have that experience. And then eventually what happens? The band leaves, the house lights come up and they're done with the set, but the people stay. And they cheer and they yell and they clap and they also go, we want more, we want more, right? Like they might even yell out the band name and then they come back out and they give kind of this encore presentation. And, and here's the connection I want you to make with all of this. That 3,000 years ago, there was a guy named Asaph and Asaph was the musician of his day. Like if Asaph had a band, like people would have known and heard about him and wanted to go see his shows. He was the, a very popular worship leader. He was well known throughout the nation of Israel because he was the worship leader in the temple in the place where all the people would go and gather to worship God. But not only was he a worship leader, he was the leader of all the other leaders. So he was kind of a big deal. And he wrote a lot of the songs that the nation of Israel sang. He wrote, I, I, just, I read this this morning, in fact, that Asaph is known to have believed to have written Psalm 73 all the way to Psalm 84. So Asaph wrote a lot of the Psalms that we have in our Bible today. And, and so I say all of that because I want to put this framework in your mind. I want you to understand this, that Asaph was not some spiritual minnow. He was a big deal. He was a big fish. He knew God deeply and intimately. He worshiped God for years and years and years of his life. He followed God. He, he was in God's word, which is why today what we're about to read in Psalm 73 is going to feel a little shocking because Asaph wrestles with the injustice that he sees. When he sees things in the world that aren't the way they should be, he struggles. And I think we all know what this feeling is like because injustice comes in, in two different flavors and they both taste terrible. The first one is when bad things happen to good people. When we look around our world and, and we see a family, maybe even in the church, and we see a family who loves God, is obeying God, following God, and something terrible happens. And we look at it and we go, why, God? Why do these terrible things need to happen to these good people? They love you. They're trying to honor you. They're obeying you. They're walking with you. Why would you let this happen to them? 
It's a bitter taste. Then there's an injustice that we don't enjoy. The other one is that when good things happen to bad people, right? And that's really what Psalm 73 is all about. We look at people who make it their hobby to disobey God and not only disobey God, but find creative ways to do it. And it looks like they're living that hashtag blessed life. It looks like they have great health. They're provided for. And sometimes, to be honest, it looks like they have cooler toys than people who follow God. And when we see those things, we could be tempted to think, God, why are you letting good things happen to people who don't love you, who don't care about you, who aren't even trying to follow you? And what we're going to see here in Psalm 73 is that that is what Asaph is wrestling with here. Honestly, this psalm is, is a personal psalm for me. It's a psalm that I've turned to over and over and over again in my life. I remember the first time I read it in high school. I struggled with a lot of what I was doing. I was following the Lord, but I would watch other people, kids in my school do things. I'm like, why does it seem like they're getting away with everything? Why does everything seem to be okay for them? In college, every year, I just about read because I wanted to give up. I didn't like school, but I wanted to give up. But I would find myself over and over again turning to Psalm 73, even moving out here 13 years ago to help plant this church. I would find myself reading Psalm 73, and I think it can resonate with a lot of us. Because at one time or another, we all wrestle with this idea of why does it seem like the wicked prosper and God's people suffer? A lot of times we could see, it seems like all of these good things are happening to all these people and we're shocked. And we're stunned and we go, why is this happening? In fact, the title of today's message is called Stunned by Injustice. And what we're going to do is we're going to read Psalm 73 and we're going to look at the first 17 verses. And then I got two big ideas for us today. Psalm 73, starting in verse 1, says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 4, For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with folly. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Verse 13, all in vain, I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed a generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. There's two things that I believe this psalm shows us about the injustice that we see or feel in our world and when we don't understand. And the first one is this, that God can handle our doubts about his fairness. God can handle our doubts about his fairness. This week when I was reading this psalm, it kind of seemed a little backwards to me. 
Here's what I mean by that. It seems like Asaph starts with his conclusion when he says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And then in verses two and three, he's like, but as for me, and then he kind of like slowly starts going into his story. And what I really feel like he's trying to do in the psalm is teach the nation of Israel and teach us thousands of years later of what he went through. And so he's like, God is good. But I don't know that I've always believed that. I'm not always sure that that's been the case. I'm not sure that that's true. In fact, let me tell you a little story about my life. And Asaph is like, I'm over here trying to obey God, do what God has asked me to do, follow God, love God. But then I look at this guy over here and he's disobeying you. He doesn't even love you. And yet he's the one with a mansion on the beach. And I don't get it. And then what he does in verses four through 12 is he's like, God, this is the way I see it. And Asaph gives a list of all of the injustices that he sees. He starts talking to God in verses 4 through 12 and questioning and and giving him all of his doubts about God's fairness. In verse 4, he's like, all these wicked people, they have no health crisis. I don't know if Asaph had a health crisis here. Maybe he saw people with health crisis. And he's like, why does it seem like these wicked people have no health issues, but I'm over here taking all the pills? All the medication to be healthy. Why does it feel like that they're doing okay? They get the clean bill of health and I'm over here suffering. I'm always sick. They don't seem to face the troubles that I face. And then in verse six, he's like, here's what makes it even worse. They walk around and they brag about it. They're like, look at me. I'm not even walking with God. Look at all the the blessed things that I have. Look at all these nice toys that I have. Look at all this. You know what? I'm doing all this without God. Look at you. Look at the house I'm living in. I'm living in this great house and you're living in this little shack. And then in verses seven and eight, Asaph is like, God, you created everyone in your image. You are the ultimate protector and defender, but there are some people on this earth who are just flat out wicked. And those wicked people, they don't love you. They don't obey you and they treat your people poorly. And it doesn't seem like you're doing anything about it. And then he goes on in verses nine, 10 and 11. And I love this one. He's like, God, you put a hole in people's heads and you gave them a mouth and tongue and you gave them some lungs and they're there to worship you. But they're not worshiping you. They're mocking you. And they're like, we're able to do all of this without God. What he's saying is that sometimes in this world, it's the thieves who live in the mansions. It's the sex traffickers who seem like they have the best health. It's the bully at school who seems like they always get the prettiest girl or the most handsome guy or everything works out just fine for them or that their life is all set. Sometimes it's the racist that gets the raise or the promotion. And Asaph is looking all around and he goes, how can I sing or tell about the goodness of God when God, you are allowing all of this to take place on this earth? Asaph is looking at his life. He's looking at the life of other people and he's envious of it. Asaph had doubts about God's fairness. And then look at what he says in verse 13. He says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and wash my hands in innocence. Asaph is like, God, I've been playing this religious game. I've been trying to do all the right things. And I feel like, honestly, it's a little bit of a slap in the face, though. Because when I look around and I see the wicked, they're all prospering, they're all doing just fine and the righteous are suffering and it doesn't make sense. And I think Asaph is like, you know what, God? I wish that that was the life I could live. I wish I could enjoy those kinds of parties. I wish that I didn't have all those concerns. I wish I was living those lives that those people are living. But to be honest, all I have is you. 
which made me think of a time when I was living at home with my parents. For most of my life, I lived in northern New Mexico in a city called Albuquerque. But for my middle school years, I lived in a city called Las Cruces, New Mexico. And uh, I love Las Cruces. It was kind of like Clarksville, about the same size. And uh, it was a cool place to live when I was in middle school. And, uh, but we were part of a church plant in El Paso, Texas. Not as cool. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, if, for just perspective, uh, it would be like if you were to live in Clarksville and you were to drive to Nashville for church. And, and so our family would do that 45-minute to an hour drive every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time there was a church function or thing going on, you know, we would, we would be there because we were heavily involved there. Yeah, we were, we were helping with the slides or we were greeting people. We would set up, we would tear down. And so we were there a lot. But uh, let me tell you too, in, in Southern New Mexico, it would hit triple digits. Now I know that right now, it's pretty hot. We're going through a very, I haven't, I, I just mowed my grass after like eight weeks of not mowing. And it's pretty, pretty excited about that stat. But you know, it's been hot. It's like been in the hundreds. But in Southern New Mexico, it's like 100, 105, 110. And I don't want to hear from some of you like, oh, it's different. It's a dry heat. No, it's all hot, okay? It's all miserable. I hate it all. I don't care. Dry heat, living in someone's mouth heat. Like it is just <laughs> disgusting, okay? <laughs> it's just too hot. But every time, here's the, here, so here we go. Drive in the 45 minutes, right? I would see this water park every time called Wet n' Wild Water Park. And we would drive by that water park and I would longingly look out that window and I would see families in the wave pool. I'd see people waiting to go down the water slides. I'd see cars lined up to get into the water park and I would be sitting in the car driving 65 miles an hour right past it going, man, I'm in the wrong car right now. I'm on the wrong path to some fun. I think that's what Asaph is feeling right here. I think he's like, I'm looking at all these people. And I'm wondering, why should I even be obeying God and honoring him? Because to me, it seems like God doesn't care. And then it gets pretty bad in in verse 15. Asaph says, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed a generation of your children. In other words, what Asaph is saying, if I actually told people what was going on inside of my heart, if I told people what I actually was struggling with, what I was going through, what I was dealing with, if I actually told people what I really had, the doubts that I felt, it would, I would let God's people down because they're looking to me. They're following me as I'm following God. So to be honest, I got to fake it. And I don't want to go to church. I don't want to sing. I don't want to serve. I don't want to give. I don't want to do any of that kind of stuff. But he's like, I'm the worship leader. So I've got to lead the people in worship. In verse 15, Asaph is like, if I really told people what was happening in my life, it would destroy them. I think a lot of Christian leaders can feel this way. I think a lot of people in the church feel this way. We're afraid to share our doubts, our questions, our fears. We're afraid to talk about that. It, it, to be honest, I love that in the, in the New Testament, we, we kind of rag on Thomas, right? You guys heard of doubting Thomas. And we rag on that guy and we're like, oh, that guy, what a loser. Like, you know, but when he questioned, he had questions. What did Jesus do? Did he go, how dare you? What are you doing? Did he backhand him? No, he said, come and see, come and check this out. He invited the questions. And I think a lot of us, when we're in the church, we're like, if I told people what was really going on inside, they might have some doubts. I might let them down. 
So I kind of stay silent. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything at school or at work. Because if I told people what was really going on inside of me, they might look at me and go, well, I thought you were the Christian. I thought you knew everything or were supposed to know everything. And we're afraid to talk about the doubts, the questions, the things that we have. But what we're seeing here is that that's what Asaph is doing. He is saying all of this stuff. He's questioning. He has doubts. And he has a voice. And I think a lot of us go, why would I ever do this? Why do I need to? I might as well just fake it. The reality is, it's amazing how real this psalm is before God. It's amazing how honest Asaph is being before God. God, clearly, in, this, in these first few verses, he can handle all of Asaph's doubts about his fairness. But here's the thing. We've only talked about Asaph and what Asaph is seeing. God is patient with Asaph. Asaph sees stuff, but God also has a perspective too. God also sees what is happening. Psalm 73 has resonated a lot with me and I think can resonate with a lot of us because we can look at this and we can read and we can go, yes, yes, this is how I feel. But it doesn't validate or mean that everything we see or feel about the injustice is true. Psalm 73 is not here saying, hey, Asaph, everything you see and say is true. It's not validating any of it because listen, I know a lot of people who do not know Jesus who are broke. You know a lot of people who don't know Jesus who are broke. I know a lot of people who do not love Jesus, do not obey him, who are going through a health crisis right now, and so do you. And so Psalm 73 is not here to validate everything that Asaph sees or feels. It's true. Psalm 73, I believe, is here to encourage us that God is still with us, God still loves us, God still cares with us, that God is working behind the scenes of all of this injustice. And I believe Psalm 73 is here to remind us that God still does love us, God is still for us, and to be honest, I think what this is showing us is that we could be so honest before God about our doubts and question Him, and God is patient with us. Think about this for just a second. When we see the injustice in our world, don't just look at it from your perspective. Think about it from God's perspective too. Think about that God and all of his goodness created a good world for us to live in. But then sin entered into us. and We messed the whole thing up. We messed up what God's original design and purpose for this world was. He gave us good instruction on how to live in this world. But as Romans 3.23 says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So instead of crushing us, God chose to crush his son instead. God could have dealt with the injustice of this world by saying, if you sin, if you smoke or chew or go out with women who do, you know, if you lie, if you cheat, if you, if you murder, if you do any of that kind of stuff, if you sin in just a little bit, I'm going to crush you for that sin and wipe you out. Then there would be no arguments about God being unjust then. But one of the reasons that Asaph had such a hard time with this, a hard time with all the injustice that he sees, is because he forgot this one thing, that there are no good people, including himself. There's no such thing as sinless people. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and yet God loved us so much that he sent his son to live and die and rise again, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 
See, when we feel tempted to be like Asaph and just shake our fists at God and say, God, how dare you? Let's pause for a second. Think about it from God's perspective and how he must feel when he looks at the mess that we've made out of his world. So how does Asaph, how does God bring Asaph out of this? Well, this is our final second thought, last point. God reshapes our perspective with his presence. God will reshape our perspective with his presence. Verse 16 says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. In other words, Asaph was like, Once I went to church, once I got into the presence of God, once I got to God's house, once I saw God in all of his glory, Once I saw how big God is, once I realized that his word is trustworthy, that he's merciful, that he's gracious, that he's kind, that he's good. Once I went and saw all the things that God, at the very beginning, my feet, they were going to slip. They were going to fall. I was going to go off the wrong path. I was questioning, should I even be serving God? What's the point of all this? But until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I saw how it was all going to end. And it all made sense to me. See, when we gather in the sanctuary of God, we come together on a Sunday, come into God's house, a couple of things will happen to us. One, we'll be sad about the unbeliever. This is where Asaph is at. Asaph entered the presence of God and it put everything into perspective. Instead of envying the wicked, he recognized how their life was going to end. And he's like, how could I ever envy a life that's going to be spent separated from God? And don't misunderstand this. Asaph isn't like, yes, God one day is going to zap them and it's going to be all over for them. No, he's like, it's a terrible thing. He's like, it breaks my heart. But here's the second thing. When Asaph entered the sanctuary of God, when we enter the sanctuary of God, we realize that God is our greatest treasure. Verse 22, Asaph says, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. In other words, Asaph is like, hey, guess what? I was over here eating the grass, keeping my face in the dirt, going, God doesn't know, God doesn't care, God doesn't see purity. Oh, God doesn't even care about that. He's like, think about all the pleasures that I'm missing, God. And then he's like, I went to the sanctuary of God. Instead of looking at the grass, I was able to look at the sky. I was able to look up and look out and see that what God has actually given me. And then look at what verses 23 and 24 says. It says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with, the, with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. In other words, Asaph is like, God, you're always with me. You're guiding me. You're holding my hand. And one day you're going to lead me to heaven. Asaph realizes the state of the unbeliever. And he realizes that God is his greatest treasure. And the same is true for us. Anytime we gather together on a Sunday and we come to the house of God, our hearts should break for the unbeliever. Our hearts should be sad because there are people right now living and dying separated from God. They will spend all of eternity separated from their God and it should break our hearts. But then at the same time, we should also realize that we have this treasure in God, that God loved us. Jesus died for us, and now we can be reconciled back with the Father. But we shouldn't just come here and be like, oh, good us, you know? 
We need to go out and we need to tell people the good news of Jesus. Asaph moved from a temporal perspective to an eternal perspective. God reshapes our perspective with his presence. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I saw how it was all going to end. Asaph saw things through the eyes of God. I read a story this week. It's a story I had heard before, but it was of an older couple, and they were missionaries to Africa. They had served there for years and years and years of their life, and their calling, their mission was done, and so they were going to head back to New York, go back to, the harp, go back to uh, New York City to go um, retire and, and enjoy what they did. But as they started boarding the boat, they were freaking out. They were scared. They were worried. They were fearful. They were like, man, we don't have a pension. We barely have any kind of savings. Like, what are we going to do? What do we do with our lives? Like, did we just waste our lives serving God, doing all these things for him? Like, how are we going to live? How are we going to survive? And so they boarded that boat with all of those concerns, all those worries. And a few days later, they entered into New York Harbor. And as they got into the harbor, uh, they saw a band playing and, and they heard music and, and they saw reporters and cameras everywhere. And they heard this chanting of, Teddy, Teddy. And what they didn't realize at the time was that they were on board with Teddy Roosevelt, the 26th president. So that tells you how long ago this was. So if you took a nap in history class, that's basically 1900 to 1909. So that's a long time ago. And so they see all this fanfare for Teddy Roosevelt. And he was on that boat because he was coming back from Africa from a hunting trip. And so everybody was there to greet him and welcome him. And once he got off the boat and he was walking away, then this couple got off the boat to no fanfare. No one seemed to miss him. No one seemed to care. They got in their car. They headed back to their tiny apartment. And once they got in, the husband was just frustrated. And he looked at his wife and he was like, why in the world did we do all of this? Did we just waste our time? Like, here's this guy. All he did was hunt and he's welcomed with music and everybody wants to know how it's going. But we gave our lives for the Lord. We did all of this for God. Now, the wife was a a woman of wisdom and she said, hey, why don't you go and talk to God about this? So he goes back into the bedroom and he prays for a few hours. And he comes back out with a smile on his face and a spring in his step. And she goes, well, how did it go? And he said, I told God all the injustice that I saw. I told God how mad and how furious and how frustrated I am by all of this. And she said, well, what did God say to you? And she said, God reminded me that we are not home yet. That we haven't had our homecoming yet. This man went to the sanctuary of God. He got a new perspective and a new outlook. He moved from the temporal to the eternal. God reshapes our perspective with his presence. That's where Asaph is being reminded of here. He went to the sanctuary of God. He saw their end, but I love how this psalm closes. Verse 28, it says, but for me, it is good to be near to God. Basically, he's drawing near to God. God is drawing near to him. He's like, I have made the Lord God my refuge, my safe place, that I may tell of all of your works. You see, Asaph's heart is not only ready to sing, he's ready to tell people about what God has done for him. He's ready to tell his story and God's story. This week, as I was reading Psalm 73, it kind of reminded me of the book of Job. I think a lot of us were familiar with the book of Job. The Bible calls him a man of integrity. In fact, it says that he was a blameless and upright man. 
He was a guy who loved God, followed God, obeyed God. But even though that was the case, he experienced terrible suffering. He lost seven sons, three daughters. His health went into a decline. I mean, he had a really bad day. He lost everything. And we can read the story of Job and we can go, how is this even fair? Was that just? Was that kind? Was that loving God for you just to kind of step aside and let this avalanche of terrible things come across Job? Like that doesn't make any sense. And the question that the rest of the book tries to address is this. How does bad things happen to good people? How can bad things happen to good people? The amazing thing is that this question never really receives a direct answer, though. In fact, God, uh, when God finally does speak to Job, he kind of treats the question as kind of beside the point. Justice is not the issue. Life in a fallen world will never be fair. It's not about balancing the scales. It's about a relationship. See, God doesn't take the problems of unjust human suffering and just explain it. He entered into it. In the person of Jesus. Jesus experienced injustice. Jesus knows what it's like to be unfairly accused, arrested, tried, condemned, beaten, abused, spit on. Jesus was put to death. And we know how the story goes. Jesus is standing there next to another criminal named Barabbas. Barabbas was this thief, this criminal, this assassin. And the question posed to all the people was, who do you want? Do you want this criminal or do you want this innocent person? And the crowd said, give us Barabbas. Barabbas goes free. The innocent dies. Jesus knows what injustice is like. Jesus demonstrated his love for us. And he sends this unmistakable message. When we see the injustice in our world, in our lives, in our neighbor's lives, in our friend's life, we see injustice in this church. The answer is Jesus. See, what's cool is uh, towards the end of the book, Job is able to say, naked I came in this world, naked I'll leave, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Job didn't understand all of it. He didn't like that all those bad things happened. But he was like, no matter what happens, I'll take the good, I'll take the bad. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Asaph here, after looking at all these things, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of that kind of stuff, and he's ready to sing, and he's ready to tell about what God can do. He's ready to share his story and share God's story as well. He can now say with confidence, verse one, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Asaph in the end is like, justice will be served. You're either with Jesus or you'll be separated from him. So what's the the question that we need to wrestle with today is what are you going to do with Jesus? Jesus will balance it all out. It one day will all be fair. But what are you going to do with Jesus? And not only what are you going to do with Jesus, but what are you going to focus on when you go through or you see the injustice? You're going to focus on all the temporal things Are you going to focus on the eternal things? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.